Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This week, disaster movies. I love disaster movies. Disaster movies are sort of like real-world horror stories in that the stuff can happen to you at any time. Just a couple of months ago, we had some hurricanes and a lot of Americans experienced real disaster movies. So they weren't movies, they were real disasters that will probably be made into movies eventually. Um, But I think they are fun to watch because unlike a horror movie where you can sort of say, that's not real, that's not going to happen, this is a momentary scare. A disaster movie reminds you that life is pretty fragile and that something can reach out of the ground or the sky and just snatch you up anytime, anytime, yeah. Um, So... I put together some rules to define what a disaster movie is. I'll go through those in the show here. What's funny is I wrote them on paper and then I didn't bring the paper. So when we recorded them, I had to do them off the top of my head. But I swear to God, I uh, these are real rules that I made up in my own head. And there's some uh, argument during the show over what number we're on. I assure you, my count was right the whole time. I listened to it again and yep, spot on. Uh, disaster movies. Have fun. Once again, it's magnificently huge with your three friends, Chris, Brian, and Eric. And we're here to talk junk. What have you guys been up to uh, since last we met? Oh, you gotta say it, though. You can't just lead with that. You gotta say the thing. We're back? <laughs> you have to introduce the Every segment. time Eric hosts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fresh the, shit. The, fresh shit. Yeah. We usually do sort of a, a quick, so how you doing before we, we go feet first into fresh shit, but let's go feet first into fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. So, Chris, what's your fresh shit? I have one thing this week. Uh, I started watching a little show on Netflix called Big Mouth which is a little animated show created by Nick Crawl, hmm. And he's got a, a cast of comedian buddies doing the voices, but uh, it's a very endearing cartoon about the horrors of puberty and adolescence. And it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's about all these little middle schoolers and they're going through all the changes and their hormones are going crazy. And they take some really risque <laughs> topics uh, in, in these little 20-minute cartoons about... 13 year olds and uh it's really rife with things like your first period uh masturbation and other assorted things where kids are just totally freaking out about everything and it's fucking hilarious so i would urge you to watch it it's only 10 episodes yeah it sounds delightful yeah and it's also got weird things where one of the kids is plagued by the hormone monster. Are you the puberty fairy? The fuck did you just call me? The puberty fairy? Puberty fairy. I'm the hormone monster. And it's basically just this grotesque uh, id that just keeps <laughs> trying to get him to do all these ridiculous things. 
Uh, and then another kid talks to the ghost of Duke Ellington that lives in his attic. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just a lot of really funny, weird stuff what, that goes what on. What is this again? It's called Big Mouth, and it's on Netflix. Huh. Can you imagine how cool it is for kids in junior high to see something like that and go, oh, this is normal shit. Great. And some of it isn't quite so normal. They got one little kid, and in one of the episodes, he actually, like, the subplot with his character is that he likes to cut slits in his pillows and fuck them. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, I take and, it back. Uh, yeah, and, you're, I'm still waiting for you to say something that Eric will think isn't normal. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so the episode basically revolves around the kid has... Uh, fucked his pillow one too many times and then it, the pillow tells him he's she's pregnant <laughs> and then they have like all and then they have the whole pregnancy scare episode with a 13 year old who's uh gotten his pillow pregnant it's, it's like what the fuck is going on so yeah his pillow get uh, larger and larger and fluffier yeah well i don't want to ruin it just uh no. take my word for it it's mm. funny so yeah that's really all i got big mouth right on brian what you got Oh, okay, well, uh, as always, I have a, a public service announcement. There's yet another internet security problem. This one is called Crack. K-R-A-C-K. They spelled it with a K. This is Crack. And you're kind of fucked on this one. Um, basically, any device that connects to any Wi-Fi network is compromised, and that includes all of your routers. So, pretty much, if you haven't been updating the firmware on your router, because, you know, we all do that regularly. <laughs> I do that, like, once an hour. I don't think I've That's ever done that. Your whole Wi-Fi network is probably pantsed. And the beauty part is that uh, people who use this exploit get on the network, and they can see encrypted communication, at least on the on the network. Now, they can't... Stuff that goes through HTTPS is still encrypted, but... They might see passwords, they might see logins, they might see phone numbers and credit card numbers and you name it. Um, And the only real way to protect yourself is to update every single device that you own, including your router, assuming that your router manufacturer has an update that defeats this thing, which not all of them do. And this could mean, like, smart home devices, like light bulbs and shit are, you know, problems. So this this is bad. So basically what you're telling me is that if my router doesn't have update for the firmware that I should just go buy a new router. No, you're just fucked. God damn it. Yep, the future is is here and it's so beautiful. How do you tell if you if it's happened or not? You assume it has and you assume that any Wi-Fi network you're on is compromised because any one device on that network if the router hasn't been updated compromises the whole network. Christ, this sounds like a disaster movie to me. <laughs> I'm not quite getting information that I need. Yeah. No, you well, here's the problem. There isn't a fix. Like it's it's go figure out how to update the firmware on your router and pray. That's all I got. Keep your phones updated. Did you go to Snopes and, and do this up to make sure that it's real? You know, so some of my friends work in internet security and so I get a lot of these notifications and Okay. So you're yeah, not just it's paranoid. real. God damn it. Google the shit. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Everything is broken. There is no privacy, there is no security, the future sucks. Life is shit, life is shit, the world is shit, the world is shit. Um, Do you have anything happy? Well, no. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have been so goddamn busy with the remodel this week, I don't have any, like, movies or anything. I bought two video games that I haven't played 
Um, I bought, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing them, but I haven't played them. That's like your ninth level of hell, Brian. It's like you have two video games and you can't play either of them. Well, I can't even watch. I mean, I haven't had a television hooked up to anything for like two weeks. Um, it's just been full on over here. I've kind of got everything organized, but I have to do all my wiring over again. Uh, <laughs> I, but I, I bought I bought a game called Echo, which looks really cool. It's uh, a game where all of the AI is clones of you, and they only can do the things that you have done in the past, and they are trying to kill you. But they don't know how to jump until you jump, and they don't know how to climb until you climb, but then once you do, they can do those things to try and kill you. In Echo, you must survive the strange workings of the palace. It studies everything you do, everything you are, to use it against you. So the only way to win is to do nothing. I don't know. I, I haven't played it yet. Sounds like you've won. <laughs> it's like war games, yeah. The only way to win. What was the other one? The other one is Cuphead. Have you seen this? No. I've seen the artwork. Cuphead, yeah, is is this... It's really a big old boss rush, like, 16-bit shooter in gameplay style, but but it's all about the art and the music. It's done in a Steamboat Willie or, like, Flesher 1930s style cartoons. It's super um, retro. It's It's got a big band soundtrack, and... I've watched my kids play it. I haven't had a chance to play it, but how, yeah. How are they playing it if you don't have a TV hooked up? On the computer. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Never mind, trying to get all snide. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't have much, but I, I know that I'm not going to get to either of those games anytime soon because Mario Odyssey comes out on Friday and I'm playing the shit out of that hmm. when it comes out. Right on. Excellent. So yeah, that's a bunch of things I haven't yet done. That's a, an interesting take on the fresh shit. Yeah. I like it. It's it's not quite ripe. This shit. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's not, green. Yeah. I finally watched uh, season three of Rick and Morty. Uh, oh, okay. It's damn good. Nice. Yeah. I I I, I particularly loved uh, Rick versus the president. <laughs> that was yeah an interesting take. <laughs> I could be a clone. I could be a hologram. I could be a clone c- controlled by a hologram right now. That's fucking your mother. I think that was the best <laughs> line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a, a good season overall. I think they they did right by Jerry, uh, making him just such an utter tool through <laughs> most of it, uh, but in such a way that he was a refreshingly endearing tool. Yeah, well, they they addressed his issues. I didn't get that uh, Rick was a villain for the first half of the season, like you said, Brian. I, I thought that was just Rick being Rick. No, that was my theory. Oh, well, then, Chris, I didn't think that. I thought that was blah, 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 blah. Rick being Rick. They were certainly pointing out what a shit Rick is. Like, like the whole Szechuan sauce thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the whole point of that was supposed to be that nothing matters, and the only reason Rick is doing anything is something stupid like Szechuan sauce. It was supposed to be a statement about how pointless everything is and, you know, and how what Rick's doing has no greater meaning. And then, like, all of the fanboys got totally the wrong message from it and got all shitty with McDonald's over Szechuan sauce. Yeah. Rick and Morty fans are the fucking worst. Yeah, especially you. <laughs> you think, yeah, you'd think they would have caught the point wasn't the Szechuan sauce, but I don't know. I remember, yeah, because I already knew about the Szechuan sauce craze, and then I saw the episode, and I was like, this doesn't make me want to get that stuff, other than, like, you know, to 
dance around like an idiot and go, look at I got, but I don't dance. Okay, so were you sober when you watched Rick and Morty? Yeah. Or were you high? No, I was sober. Okay, see, that's the difference between you and the other people. Ah. Oh. They were high, and so they heard Rick going, oh my god, the sauce is the best sauce. And they're like, yeah, I want the sauce. Yeah. That's, that's my I'm, hypothesis. I don't need no sauce from Mulan. Thank you very much. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that yeah. was good. And I'm getting, I, I know a few episodes back I'd said I wasn't into Skyrim. Now I'm really into Skyrim. That It's a fun-ass game and I'm killing but shit But there's no Splattercaster in Skyrim. <laughs> there's not, but there's like big club-like swords and, and, and magic spells and death. Every time you say Skyrim, I always think it's some sort of weird porno. That's what I thought. That's what I thought when it came out. I was like, that sounds like, yeah, Skyrim is a position. I'm going to give you such a Skyrim. It sounds like something you do with like a pull-up bar and gravity boots. Yeah. I'm going to give you Skyrim. It could be an adjective or it could be a verb. I'm going to Skyrim you so hard, you're going to Skyrim your balls off. Wait, there, wait. I got almost p- no I gotta way pass- there isn't a porn I gotta, like this. Wait, I... <laughs> Yeah, never mind. I had a I had a good I had a good one liner return, but never mind. Damn it. Okay, we can put it in the liner notes. I have to pass Morrowind. Okay, there. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck that means. Uh, it's the name of the series of the place that the series. I don't oh, care. Doesn't matter. Gotcha. Doesn't matter. So I want to do a show on disaster movies because I love disaster movies. Uh, I love them because a lot of people die. I know we had said <laughs> that we were going to include in this show sites or links or something to places where you can donate to the victims of the thing that did the stuff most recently. And I, I will say, yeah, okay, we're going to put those up at the end of the show, but I only want that help to go to atheists because if you are a Christian and you were hurt by uh, Hurricane Katrina or Harvey or any of the others, your God forsake you. I'm sorry. That's the reason that you lost your shit. You probably should have invested in some insurance. You sound like Gene Hackman from the Poseidon Adventure. I would say the people of Puerto Rico, there's no amount of insurance that's going to cover what they're dealing with. No. That has nothing to do with the natural disaster, though. That has to do with them getting fucked by the banking industry that got them to make all those public uh, bonds that got bought up by (laughs) funds that got them cheap. I mean, they basically got bankrupted by a scam, and there's no way out of it now. Well, for that, all I have is just one, uh, just called charitynavigator.org. It's just a good all-around utility for finding the best charities for whatever event is happening. So that includes Puerto Rico, the California wildfires, mm. anything that's going on where people are getting fucked up the butt mm-hmm. by nature or man or whatever. Oh man, I have friends in Northern California who are definitely worried about their homes. So that's our uh, our public service announcement for disaster movies so that we don't come across as heartless pricks. Yeah, that's just me. <laughs> yeah, Eric, that's just Eric. I'm the only true heartless prick because when Chris <laughs> messaged me that we should do this thing with the links, I said, "Yeah, that sounds hilarious." But I love disaster movies because I like watching a lot of people die. I just love it. I don't watch disaster movies, I think, the way they're intended, which is to learn about the human spirit and how we overcome. No, I'm in it for the, you know, the absolute cum shot that ends the first act of thousands of people <laughs> being like killed by hurricanes or floods or ship sinkings. And, and I don't think I'm the only one. Well, I like that you brought this one up. Because it's another weird 
active synchronicity that tends to follow some of these episodes that we do because just this weekend prior to our recording session here, a little movie called Geostorm was released. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh God. Uh, And that is, I've watched the trailer like a hundred times. I think that's all I need to do is watch the trailer. It looks like the most amazing, dumb movie ever that I'm never going to pay for. Well, let me say that when I saw the preview for that during Blade Runner, that's what made me think of the concept (laughs) for today's show, which is works, which is, Here's why that's not really a disaster film, because disaster films have mm. a series of things that are true about all of them. And Geostorm fails the big first rule in my book. So I'm going to just start with that big first rule, which is a disaster film has to be based on something that's possible. Like Independence Day is not a disaster mm. movie because aliens can't come and destroy us. Only really, really crazy or uneducated people are worried about Independence Day. Those of you who are listening in the future after the <laughs> alien invasion can now laugh at Eric's naivete. Well, the thing I like about the setup for Geostorm is that it actually takes place in the future where for some unben- unbeknownst reason to everybody, uh, the world has come together to create a satellite system that can control the weather and keep shit from happening. We can't even make secure Wi-Fi. This is such a bad idea. <laughs> I know. It's the most ludicrous thing. And uh, oh, who's the fucking actor? What's his name from 300? Oh, I always forget his name. Gerard Butler. That's his name. That's it. Yeah, he was in the Has Fallen movies. Yeah. God awful. That first one was fun. First one was stupid. Oh, it was so violent. I loved the first one. Because oh, so you know bad. what happened no, in the first one? A lot of people got killed. It was great. <laughs> well, in Geostorm, he plays a scientist astronaut that helps create the system. And they call it Dutch Boy, is what I learned from my reading. Uh, like the kid who sticks his finger in the dam yeah. to hold back the... But it can't be a disaster movie just because it has destruction. Because one, that's not, you know, it's that the idea that it's controlling weather satellites and then it becomes a terrorist thing, that's a terrorist action movie. That's not a, yeah. a disaster movie. It's the Avengers movie plotline. That's a mankind's hubris, isn't it? Not a disaster movie, though. Yeah, nah, but it's not. I liked what I read that someone had described it. It's like one of the fake Seinfeld movies that are in that <laughs> show, like Death Blow or Prognosis Negative. I mean, it's like Geostorm. I could just see Jerry and friends yeah. just sitting around going, hey, you want to go see Geostorm? I can't yeah. make it. <laughs> so that's what that one came across. And that is a, um, it's not Emmerich, right? That's a Dean Devlin joint without Roland Emmerich. Who was responsible for some of the early Roland Emmerich bullshit. So. Right, but one of the things that made their earlier work work, and maybe I'm getting into one of Eric's rules, I don't know, is uh, they had some practical effects and this Geostorm thing just looks like a goddamn cartoon. It's just so clearly CG. Yeah. That trailer, I don't, if you saw it on the big screen, you're like, it doesn't play. I didn't buy any of that shit. Well, the thing with, the, with these movies is that if the effects are done right, it's freaking awesome. But if they're done even remotely wrong, it just ruins everything. It's it's like an Ed, like an Ed Wood movie almost. I have a hard time speaking to the effects. So like if you want to add that as a rule, I'm cool with it. Uh, all mine okay. are like story related, but I do think okay. yeah. If no, I just I want to see some good explosions, right? If you're not buying the effects, <laughs> then yeah, it's kind of hard to. Another one in that uh, list is San Andreas, which has got some of Ooh. the worst effects. And yeah, yeah, that that is a good rule. It, the effects have to work. 
in the very beginning of that film, the helicopter does this thing. We're going to tip the hat. And it basically, it's this thing that's not physically possible for a helicopter <laughs> to do to like go into a crevasse, but they needed it for the script. And so they did it. And it's like, the earthquake hasn't even started, and I no longer trust this movie. So that's why the effects have to be plausible. Because if you don't trust it, you don't. You're not. In, you don't care. Well, it's funny you bring it up because that was on, uh, I guess, TNT or something this weekend, and I just happened upon it, uh, and I just decided, knowing that we were doing this particular episode, I sat down and tried to watch it, and uh, it's just yeah. There's nothing about that that makes yeah, me want to watch when, any of it. When Carlo Gugino is on the top of one building, and then the rock helicopters in to save her mm-hmm. and so she's doing like the prince of persia running on the steps that are disappearing below <laughs> her feet kind of thing uh to jump to the helicopter yeah and then right before that happens another building to the side which looks like it's about 500 stories tall given the the visual perspective that they give you it just it collapses in front so basically they're in downtown la during this big giant earthquake and everything is falling down. There's like four tall buildings in downtown LA. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. And it's like way far apart from each other. Yeah, Three quarters of your downtown has just been destroyed by an earthquake that you presumably built these buildings to withstand. I want to sue these architects. I want to sue these engineers. If you want to get into like, I mean, I, I don't want to get into San Andreas, but that thing is riddled with problems like yeah. uh, the flood and the buildings and the, the, the daughter that dies and is revived and, and then is just perfectly okay and doesn't require an ICU unit at all. Yeah. But uh, you know, the part that always got me is in the film, they fly across, literally across California from Northern California to uh, uh, Los Angeles in this, this rinky-dink helicopter and that's a very 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 long distance helicopters don't cover that no i thought they were in a truck and then they were traveling up the highway they were like 250 miles away and oh then my god why have either of you watched this movie it was on tv bro <laughs> i saw it in the theater <laughs> i saw it in the theater because i saw the preview and i said "Ooh, maybe this will be another 2012 because no. that is my favorite disaster film. You saw that trailer and thought you'd want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, because guess what? Well, guess what? I love disaster films. As long as they're good, <laughs> I'll give them a shot. Here's one of the rules. I, I, I don't know if you're going to mention this one, but the, the flow through from most of these, at least the modern ones, and this was really evident in San Andreas, is you have to have that fractured family dynamic mm-hmm. where the the ginormous spectacle of disaster brings them together somehow. That's rule number three. Actually, I did have that. Is it three? Okay. I didn't want to jump the gun, but I actually had it like this. I didn't say fractured family as much as the, okay, you, you have a hero who's, who's a man. Okay. Your male hero is either divorced or separated from his wife. Yeah. Every time. Every time. It's crazy. And I I was going through all my favorite disaster movies, Towering Inferno, 2012. Poseidon Adventure. The Swarm. Uh, Poseidon Adventure. I got to Poseidon Adventure and I said, oh, uh uh-oh, I found an exception. Until you realize Gene Hackman's divorced wife is God. The whole time he's yelling at God. And in the end... (laughs) He reunites with God. I so, love that he's got a he's got a scene where he basically just tells everybody that religion is bullshit because he's mm-hmm. so fed up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, 
Wow. Oh, no, the best is the end when he's like, you want to take someone? Take me! Take me! And it is so laughably <laughs> stupid. You want another life? Then take me! Well, that's the thing with those those early ones, all those Irwin Allen, mm-hmm. uh, etc. Because that was like early 70s where they did a string of them because they figured they could make money, and they did mm-hmm. until they didn't. Paul uh, Newman did three. I, I still think it's amazing. Paul Newman did three uh, uh, disaster movies of varying quality. Yeah. Towering Inferno, which is great. I mean, sure, it's got a lot of issues, but it is a pretty great goddamn film. Well, and it's two hours and 44 minutes. I was going to watch it this weekend, and then I saw that and went, fuck no. Two hours and 44 minutes well spent, my friend. <laughs> it's no earthquake, sir. It's no earthquake. I mean, you think <laughs> of an actor from the 60s you want to watch be dead? That's the film for you. Richard Chamberlain, the the guy from Heart to Heart. So this is the thing I wanted to hit was the cast of the like the all-star cast. Yeah. It's a it's a mad 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 right? world. Like you'd have the poster with boxes of faces all around and they all die. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is a thing I think the modern disaster films are not doing. Right. Eric right. is they only have like one or two stars. We need to see like everyone die. You right. know, in the 70s they're like is the love boat just really like a, a, a watered down televised version of the Poseidon adventure where like, <laughs> yeah, with Charo, you have multiple storylines. That's, that's rule number four, because you can't concentrate on any one person for too long. And yeah. we don't want these characters to have too much depth because all we really care about is that they run away and survive. But we need to imbue. No, we want them to die. I thought, no, I thought that was your thing. The lead characters. No. The lead characters have to survive generally, but all the side characters, we want to learn just enough about them that when they die, there's emotional resonance. Right. And there's always one character who's a fucking douchebag, and they're the ones that get the biggest death payoff for the audience. That is rule number five. You've always got the one guy (laughs) who is the asshole who has to die horribly. I mean, you see, we all know these things. He will get the worst death, the one that's like he sneaks away from the group so he can save his own hide, and he goes into the elevator, and there's an explosion that results in fire-eating ants being shot up as dick i mean it is like the worst possible death <laughs> and it's always the the thing that kills him you always see if like from the perspective of the thing that's killing him yeah. first person mm-hmm. him dying with his hands going yeah. up and you know you're in the hands of a true master when the that character in the film says oh my god someone please help me because that means he's really gonna die <laughs> exactly so we've been hitting the odd numbered rules what are your even numbered yeah rules? what's number dose Two and four uh wait no we've been doing what are you talking about we've been i've been going in order okay gotcha i did one you did two then i gave three and then somebody got four i'm yeah just just run them down real quick give us, one through five. Give us a recap okay has to have a whore there has to be a woman who is not the main female protagonist which really means just arm candy for the hero i'm sorry these are sexist films but there is what is this is that rule number six yeah okay start with number one and get up to six so we we're we're following here all right i think we're confused let me see if i can remember uh because i didn't write these down i'm just okay i thought i thought you had a list (laughs) i have it in my head okay sorry i can't remember uh that's okay uh, eh, i'll go back later anyway rule number i'm gonna say six uh yeah Whore. That's where we are. Woman who's not a main character, a side female character 
who is comfortable with her sexuality before the disaster and after the disaster has to be killed for it. <laughs> In Towering Inferno, it's the uh, woman who's having the affair with uh, the guy from Heart to Heart, who, again, I, his name, I cannot think of it. Robert Wagner. Robert Wagner, having the affair okay. with him. In that scene, they're in flagrant, and they realize that the fire is outside, and we got to get out of here. We keep cutting back and forth to them. He finally tries to get out of there by putting a wet towel around his head and running through it. He doesn't make it, and he burns to death. Uh, the whore who is watching this, though, she screams, there's an explosion, and the last shot we get of her is falling to her death out of the window, wrapped in a burning blanket. So she gets burned to death and dropped and exploded, all because <laughs> she had sex. That's a little harsh. Yeah. That's a little harsh. This is more or less the rules for horror films, isn't that it? That one is kind of. It is a crossover from horror films. Yeah. That, and that's another thing, is that these are really horror films, but not with a psychotic or a ghost. It's the kind of thing that makes you think, no, mindless death is out there waiting for us all. Well, speaking of that, I like the fact that most of them, I'm not going to say everyone, because I don't, I haven't watched nearly as many as you, I think, Eric, because uh-huh. uh, they don't really hold the same allure, <laughs> I don't think. Uh but there, the other element that is always fun, and this is especially true in the Roland Emmerich bullshit, mm. is that there's always the the Cassandra character who's screaming about all this stuff that's going to happen and nobody fucking believes them until yeah. it's too late. I hadn't thought uh, to call that character a Cassandra, but you're right. There's, I, I called it just the wise-ass the, yeah. the scientist or the person... Well, that's also a, a monster movie trope. Right, but it's the person who knows what's going on, whether they get listened to or not. The person who knows what's going on, who is necessary, so they can spell out for us what's wrong. Yeah. In Poseidon Adventure, it was the kid who knew that, you know, the boat is designed to flip upside down or some crazy shit. Uh, in San Andreas, it's Paul Giamatti, who's the one fun part of that movie, and they only show him in the very beginning... In the very end. I have a feeling that was a film that was going to be a real disaster movie, but then somebody decided, no, we need more rock. Get more <laughs> yeah, rock really? in there. And then it just exactly. became a rock action movie. People need to know that the shaking is not over, and it's not aftershocks I'm talking about. San Francisco will get hit again, and it's going to be a bigger monster this time. Our models are predicting a 9.5 or greater. It will be so big that even though it's happening here in California... You will feel it on the East Coast. So you were trying to, to transition from San Andreas to 2012, which you said was your favorite. Right. Uh, which is also a Roland Emmerich. Yeah, it's the pinnacle of a career made of disaster films. And I still, you know, he is, he is to me, the Quentin Tarantino of, of disaster films in the way Quentin Tarantino is in love with 70s pulp bullshit. So, yeah, he, he made what? Independence Day, uh, The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, Godzilla, like a bunch of films that were shit, but they had that element of, you know, mass destruction. And I love Day After Tomorrow just because of the flash freezing thing. I just want to throw that out there and then you go ahead. I liked that because of Dennis Quaid. That whole whole scene of him drawing the line through the United States going, everyone south of this line, you need to move, you know, further south to Mexico. What about above the line? Oh, they're dead. (laughs) because <laughs> it's a, it's a supercell yeah. yeah uh and and you know what uh deep impact great disaster film about a meteor strike armageddon not a disaster film because That's it's an, an adventure action. movie it's, it's just an, an action, action movie it's it 
Yeah, exactly. It's and the only good part about that again is one character you don't see enough of, Billy Bob Thornton. But otherwise, just a dumb action film. Well, and then you also get uh, that was weird the late nineties because you also had the year with the dueling volcano movies, mm-hmm. and I know you like Dante's Peak, uh, but also Deep Impact and Volcano. Deep Impact is the. Uh, the, the meteor. Which one's the volcano one? Yeah, in? Chris is getting them all crossed yeah. up. Those Dante's Peak is a volcano. Oh, it's Dante's Peak and volcano. That's what and it volcano was. or volcano. Yeah. Right. Volcano right. is funny. I'm on track again. Dante's Peak. Somebody, I watched somebody's uh, video on, on Dante's Peak, and I might have a new opinion of it because they had explained that while volcano was you know about a volcano going off in Los Angeles, and while it looks great, not very possible. Dante's Peak was about an actual volcano going off near an actual town that would be next to a volcano. So I'm like, yeah. maybe I need to give it a second shot. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And the main character solves everything through science. Well, the thing I like about the volcano element, it's something that I read. Uh, it's it's a device called Chekhov's volcano. And it's like mm-hmm. Chekhov's gun. So basically, if there's a movie and there's a volcano in it, that volcano will erupt. <laughs> <laughs> if you see a volcano in the first act, it has to go off by the fifth yeah. act, right? But the movie volcano. So, would, Eric, you were you were talking about uh, 2012, and and now it's your favorite disaster. <laughs> were there volcanoes in it? Were there volcanoes? There was. You guys didn't see it. Fuck no! Are you kidding me? No, I was done with Emmerich after Independence Day. Oh my Day. god! It is the best movie ever. I'm sorry. It's fucking great. It is all different kinds of fucking great. It's got John Cusack in it, and I didn't watch it. Is that the one with John Cusack where he's the yeah. limo driver? Yeah. And he has to outrun an earthquake shattering the pavement kind of thing? Nope. He has to outrun uh, the the super volcano in Yosemite Park going off. <laughs> oh, God. Motherfucker. <laughs> it is the best. As soon as we stop recording this, I'm going to throw it on and watch it again, because I love it. Is that the only thing that goes off as the super volcano? No. Thought, oh, no. Know. The premise no, of 2012 like, was that it was like the end of the world, and doesn't this violate your first rule of like believable what? disaster? Your first rule was like that the disaster was credible, right? And 2012 is like the prophecy comes true yeah. or some shit, right? The 2012, yeah. Well, 2012 does something interesting, frankly, because no, it's not possible that all of these things would happen, but each one individually is. And so when it happens, you go, uh-oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, that could happen. <laughs> what strings them all together, that's that's sort of a throwaway. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, movie starts, smart-ass scientist who's there to explain shit to us finds out that the Earth's core is getting warmer. They come to find out it's because our magnetic poles are shifting, the result of which is that the skin of the Earth, the mantle, is coming unglued from the core so basically everything is going to shift and it's going to fuck everything up all right that's a good one ignoring all of that simple explanation what you get (laughs) is a guy in a limo who races to save his kids uh and is forced to take along his ex-wife and her boyfriend uh they go racing through los angeles as it falls apart they get they they steal a plane at Santa Monica Airport and they fly through the fucking best destruction of a city on film for now. Uh, they then escape. They they go to Yosemite where somebody's got a pirate radio station. John Cusack had met earlier, who has the information. It's Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, who has a ship that's going to get everybody to safety, and so he gets that stuff. They fly away from the the volcano blowing up. They land in Las Vegas. 
in time to hitch a ride with someone else with a plane. More story. Don't care. And then you see the next best destruction of a city on film with Vegas. And they nearly fly into the wind as it gets ripped apart. Oh, it's fucking awesome. It's great. So basically this disaster is really trying to kill John Cusack. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. going to follow him across the country. And I'm only in act two. That's the thing. Yeah. I, this is this is only act two, and already we've had one, two, three, four major disasters. Well, you know, it, it, John Cusack is better off dead, so I think it fits. <laughs> yeah. It's the only movie with Amanda Peet that I've ever liked. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's the, it's the Peet test. Anyway, the point is, there's a lot of destruction. It all looks really great. There's a part where the freeway is falling apart, and you can see a little guy on the freeway as uh, as the thing is tilting, and a, a car just smears him. And I've I've like watched this thing frame by frame to see all the different deaths, and it is so well thought out how they planned all of these 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 deaths. <laughs> okay, a listener to this podcast can't can't have the experience I'm having right now, so I'll describe it. Eric's signal on this call is breaking up every time he tries to describe it. So it's a not just me. Okay. <laughs> so in my head, I'm picturing like a tidal wave has engulfed Eric and killed him this time. Nope, nope. Now he's dying in an earthquake. <laughs> As he's describing this movie. Anyway, go on. Uh, continue. No. I think you need to see it for yourself. Well, okay. They end up they end up on a plane. They leave Las Vegas. They end up going to China. Now, you may say to yourself, how in the hell does a plane get from Las Vegas all the way to China? Well, because the Earth got, like, you know, broken free of its core or whatever, it's a lot shorter. <laughs> oh, so the Earth just rotated under the plane? Yep. There's a, <laughs> there is a part where they're I'm like, telling you, it's chasing John Cusack. There is a part where they're flying through <laughs> the air, and there's, like... I, I guess they were they were hoping to get to Hawaii and then refuel and you know go on to the next station of their journey. <laughs> it's like there's this huge fire in the middle of the water. What's that? Hawaii. <laughs> the whole fucking thing. <laughs> I mean, uh. they do not pull any punches. It is like just just one. It never stops. It never rests. It's. Well, it's I think that's that's best. what I like most about especially the the Roland Emmerich. Uh, cinema is mm -hmm. that they're they're just they're subtle they're really <laughs> subtle and that's what i yeah. like about them <laughs> i think the plot of this movie is push john cusick out of the airplane so that the rest of us may live it doesn't take enough time for someone to have the moralizing speech about how this never would have happened if we'd have just gotten control of our fluorocarbons a couple decades ago it's just ah, well i guess we're supposed to be dead you know i guess so yeah Ugh. that sounds then they get to china and more shit happens that's all i'll say but it's, yeah, a great, great disaster film. Okay. Um, what's your favorite so disaster it, films? <laughs> uh, Brian, you go first. Oh, fuck. I don't even know, dude. <laughs> okay. Don't, don't say Ishtar. No, I was going to say like airport. Airport. Or something, you know. John, George Kennedy was in every single airport movie. Yeah. Did you know that? He somehow went from being a mechanic <laughs> to flying the Concorde. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? And Airport 75 was actually released in 74, and I still can't figure out that one. It's like, what the hell were they doing? They just, like, threw that shit out. Like, uh, no, I, I, the thing I like about it is, you know, and, and honestly, I think most of my memory of it is probably from Airplane at this point. But, you know, it's 
it is that notion of everybody is trapped in that airplane and they they have no agency, right? They're fucked. They're yeah. just fucked and they're they have to just endure. Mm-hmm. Um so and you know, I saw that stuff on TV when I was a little kid and it scared me. Uh you know, Towering Inferno was kind of the same thing there, but but really I mean, I didn't I don't watch a lot of these. I remember as a kid watching the second of the three Paul Newman disaster films, Earthquake, and thinking, wow, this is really something because, you know, the effects are really yeah. great. You watch it now, it is so just just laughably dumb and so little happens. Well, the thing about that one, too, is I remember taking the Universal Studios tour circa 1990, <laughs> and that's part that was part of the, the tour yeah. when you're in the tram, and then you get to the earthquake section, and then they're like, oh, look out, oh, oh and it's obviously fake. And oh, then, it's still it's still part it's, of it. It's still yeah. part of it? Oh, but it's, God. Yeah, but it's been, it's been incorporated into a different storyline. Okay. So if you've been on the tour before, you pull into that set, and you're like, oh, I know it's coming. But um, it's a totally different reason why that shit goes okay. off. Okay. Be great if they worked it into something with the shining and they turned all the water into blood. <laughs> have either of you been to Universal Studios in the last like handful of years? Nope. No. They have some some next level like hologram technology, and I'm not even exaggerating when I say hologram. Like virtuosity? Like um they do it in the tour where there are literally like movie stars walking around. You can just see them right over there, right off the tram in three D. Um, real as life, and they do it in the Harry Potter uh, stuff too. Huh. It's nice. It's pretty impressive. They, in nice. general, Universal Studios rides at this point are virtual reality combined with, uh, you know, with or three D movies combined with you know synchronized motion and practical effects, and they're they're. I haven't seen anything else quite like it. Another thing, my favorite subgenre of disaster films are nuclear holocaust. I think the nuclear holocaust film like well not even just the films, the the literature uh everything. There uh, alas uh, alas Babylon is a great nuclear war book. Uh yeah. they'd never make it into a movie because in the it has a really dumb ending. Everything is pretty realistic until you get to the part in the end where it's like, "Hey, you know what? That nuclear war, we won." And then they get society Yay. back together. And everyone's a winner yeah. in nuclear it's war. Like, no, 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 no. You, you, everybody has to die. Uh, on the Beach is a great uh, book by Neville Shute. It was made into a great film with Gregory <clears throat> Peck about the entire world is destroyed by a nuclear war, except for these little parts in southern Australia. And the radiation is making its way south with the winter winds. And so everyone in Australia knows they've got a couple of months to live. <laughs> it's it's intense. I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh at that either. Yeah, you should. Well, uh, it's great. So you br- so you bring up the nuclear war, and this I wanted to bring this one up because I I technically don't think it fits as a disaster movie because mm-hmm. it's more preamble to disaster. But the one with Anthony Edwards, Miracle Mile. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, Miracle Mile. I watched earlier this week because I hadn't seen it in forever, and basically it's the story of Anthony Edwards who misses his date with a waitress at like four in the morning uh in a diner in la and then he gets up he picks up a phone call on a phone booth outside and it's a guy calling from a missile silo in north dakota telling everybody that he thinks he's calling his dad and he says the missiles are on and we have 10 minutes and then another hour for response and we're all gonna die dad it's happening 
have when we're locked into it. 50 minutes and counting. Christ, dude, this kid's taking a cute fucking dang it. We shoot our wad in 50 minutes. They're going to pick us up in 5 or 10, and you can get it back in an hour and 10, maybe 75 minutes. What exactly are you talking about? I'm talking about nuclear fucking war. Who is this? Oh, where's my dad? Go get my dad. Listen, it's just a phone booth. It's a, it's a phone booth at a coffee shop. And then it becomes this slow burn where everything sort of, is it true? Is it not true? And then yeah. throughout the course of the movie, everybody sort of figures it out apparently and it gets more and more chaotic and hectic and riots in the street by the end uh so it's just basically this dismantling of civilization in the span of like 60 minutes i should watch this it sounds good it's good there is a scene in the end it's dawn on uh, uh wilshire uh by all the on miracle mile by all the the museums and it's just quiet there's no sound there's no anything and then I think what a car shows up and starts robbing the place with the TVs that Anthony Edwards is looking at. And then another car shows up. It's like yeah. in the course of 60 seconds, a full scale fucking riot breaks out on this street. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to die. So there's really no disaster as we know it conventionally for this movie. It's all just build and build and build and preamble to the disaster. Mm. And the only part that I don't like about the movie is at the very end, they explicitly show the missiles and the the explosion, as, and that's the end. Everybody's dead. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it better with you weren't quite sure. And so this, this idea that everything just fell to shit within an hour because people freaked out about what mm. could or could not be a nuclear war, that to me is, is more interesting and frankly funnier. I guess <laughs> I disagree. I think, I think if you have all that and you don't have missiles, you're just watching a Twilight Zone. But if you have <laughs> missiles showing up, then <laughs> it punctuates everything i want to pick up the twilight zone thread though because your description of miracle mile reminded me of a little peace and quiet which was the second half of the premiere of the 80s twilight zone revival and it was kind of a darker spiritual successor to time enough at last with burgess meredith Mm -hmm. um the deal is it's the mom from the christmas story that actress and she comes across uh mcguffin that allows her to freeze time. Always a fun story. And she just uh, gets time to freeze by saying, shut up. And if she says shut up, everything around her freezes and she can walk around through a frozen world. And the end of the episode is everyone's freaking out and the news reports are going and the sirens are blaring because they've pushed the button. And she just starts screaming, shut up, shut up, shut up. And she's the only person who can walk around in this street of frozen people and look up in the sky and see the soviet missile about to strike and she can't unfreeze time (laughs) wow that's cool that does sound like a twilight zone episode that's good yeah were there any other rules that that we missed because i still have uh my own disaster movie that i've been mulling yeah go for it let's let's hear it the one i thought of was more related to uh i think it would work for say like the sci-fi channel because they do a plethora of shitty really movies shitty yeah shitty movies and like sharknado i don't even count as a disaster movie except that it is a disaster of a movie uh yeah but that it's kind of that flavor but my idea uh it sort of encompasses a lot of the roland emmerich oh, type this, stuff. this is your pitch this yeah. is not a real movie miracle mile okay. was my pick for favorite disaster movie gotcha because it doesn't really have much in the way of disaster until the very end mm-hmm. which i liked 
but the the one that I thought of, and I thought it would work because you could actually do it around a holiday theme, because that's what struck me is that nobody seems to do these around any sort of holiday. <laughs> uh, and so, and I'll save the title for the end because that's that's what really I'm, I'm most proud of. But uh, ask us to come up with our own titles before yours. But yeah. <laughs> okay. But basically, the plot line. This is what you would read on the the cable box description. Uh, as written by me, but it's uh, an, a freakishly ginormous typhoon tsunami rogue wave unexpectedly originates in the Atlantic. So like an earthquake hits off of Portugal or something. Mm. So you get that, you get that intense immediate destruction at the beginning, but it creates this rogue wave and it's heading towards New York city on Christmas Eve. Uh, and a maverick big wave scientist warnings are ignored by the government and he has to race against time to save the city, <laughs> his estranged family, and fucking Christmas. <laughs> and and there might be a radioactive jellyfish. I don't know. But basically, it's it's like if Roland Emmerich directed a Christmas story. Uh, and my title is Yule Tide. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm not See, I thought that. you were going to ask us what our titles were. I came up with Tsunami Christmas. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't have anything. Yuletide is perfect. I thought Yuletide would be a good one for the Sci-Fi Network to trot out around Christmas time, and then by the time you've got Yuletide five, uh, you could have a whole marathon. And you could have the Jewish version of Eight Crazy Knots. <laughs> oh God! Oh, <laughs> that works. Oh. I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> not, that one, like- I'm not going to bust on that one. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, mm. so that's my idea for Deadass movie. Anybody have anything else? You know, I've watched so many that I I can't really come up with one without like going just just to to formula. But because like an actual good disaster movie, eh, it's not about the disaster. It's about like the people who have to die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. See, mine isn't probably a good disaster movie, but the idea I had an was more of a sci-fi thing. So you've got like a lunar colony or a Martian colony, some colony on an otherwise uninhabitable Mm. place. Mm -hmm. And basically the movie is about them losing pressure and running out of air. And, and you know, so, so things depressurize and people get sucked into the vacuum and, and people asphyxiate Mm -hmm. and it's, there's no escape. What would you call it? This sucks. Um, I don't know. That was pretty much, yeah, something sucks. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking you could call it something like Space Leak. Yeah, I, I mean, know. it's like, that's a good sci-fi story, but as a disaster, you can't, because we don't all live in yeah. a protected vacuum bubble. So it's like, it's not going to happen to us. And you can't do the different storylines, and yeah. yeah, so it it doesn't work. It doesn't follow any of your rules. I just think it would create a lot of tension. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I think it'd be a good sci-fi, definitely. It's It's a good Doctor Who episode. They've probably done it like four yeah. or five times on Doctor Who. Four or five hundred times, maybe. <laughs> but that but that reminds me now, it takes me back to Geostorm, because, and I, it's a spoiler, and I don't give a shit, because I don't think anybody needs to go see this thing, but apparently the way they fix everything with this rogue network of satellites that's been commandeered to wreak havoc on Earth, uh, Gerard Butler goes up to the space station and literally the way to fix it is to turn it off and then back on again. It's like resetting a router. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's how they fix it in Geostorm. <laughs> he rebooted the weather. Yeah, he rebooted the router and everything was fine. 
So uh, lesson learned. Titanic. Titanic <laughs> is a disaster film. Titanic has all of the earmarks. An actual yeah. disaster that could happen. Actually, based on an, a, a disaster is even better. Um, yeah. There's that other disaster movie that really happened from the 2004 tsunami in Thailand. Um, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. I know. Oh, the, yeah. I know the Ewan was in it. Yes, that's it. Ewan McGregor's yeah. in it, and that that really lovely woman from Australia. Um, Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. Yeah, that was good. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bust out a few of my favorites. Those uh, Testament. Testament is absolutely worth your time. It, it was a TV movie on PBS in the 80s, and it's a small town in the suburbs of San Francisco. Brian probably knows where this place is, and. The bombs come down. San Francisco's destroyed. There's no fire or destruction or ruined buildings in this town. It's far away enough that that doesn't happen. But the radiation slowly kills everyone in town. And it is one of the creepiest, just just, just maudlin, terrifying films. There's the, the main character, this woman and her daughter, and they are sewing the bag up to bury the youngest child, who's played by Lucas Haas, by the way. He's like four when they did this. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. They're sewing up the thing for him, and then the daughter starts coughing, and the the mom looks at her, and then cut to the mom is sewing a cloth thing for the daughter, who's already dead. It's like they just, they, they go through death so, so slowly at first, and then it just grows into just real, true horror and yeah it's really lovely i totally recommend it sounds like a good date movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah on the beach already mentioned that uh towering inferno is good for a laugh 2012 is just absolutely the best uh i don't know and i wouldn't watch titanic i would just watch like the end of titanic or or uh maybe the original like 1934 titanic but not not the James Cameron one. That shit. Drowning like rats always makes for a great disaster film. Which oh, that reminds me. Have you ever seen the movie Daylight with Stallone? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. The former firefighter who has to lead everybody through the Holland Tunnel. Yeah, they're trapped in a tunnel, but nobody's choking on any sort of chemical fume from the fire that is caused from the explosion that right. trapped them all in there. And then the only way they can get out is to figure out that they need to follow all the rats that yeah. are leaving. Yeah. <laughs> It's so dumb. Oh, so dumb. And the explosion that seals them in there are, let's see, it's a diamond heist where the getaway car rams into a chemical truck that causes the explosion. I'm like, chemical truck explosion. Yeah. I don't think anyone in that tunnel's getting out alive. It makes little sense. Hey, we're back to my asphyxiation movie. You can make it work in a tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's daylight too. More daylight. (laughs) (laughs) Just a casual mention, because I did see this in the theater because it was touted as super great special effects and they really kind of suck. But Twister is just, that's direct. That I would not say is a disaster film only because it's not something that's happening to victims. It's something they're chasing after. It's it's, it's almost like The Big Wednesday. You know, it's okay. it, they're they're going after something like a I wave. Get you. Yeah. Okay. It's certainly fun. I I don't know. I enjoyed. I no, I didn't. What am I talking about? I hated Twister, <laughs> but I loved. I loved the bit with another cow. I think you'll find that's the same cow. Another cow. Actually, I 
think that was the same one. That part I thought was funny, but otherwise. Yeah, it's definitely worth the price of admission for that. Yeah. <laughs> God. Okay, so what did, what did we learn today, Eric? Tell us. Uh, we learned the ins and outs of disaster films and what makes for a good one. And if you ever see a disaster film and you're not sure why you're not having a good time, it's probably because one of these rules got broken. I wanted to point out that in Earthquake, the 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 other Paul Newman disaster film, uh, it wasn't very good because it was long and slow and drawn out and broke a lot of the rules, such as Paul Newman doesn't get back together with his estranged wife and instead sacrifices himself because she kills his girlfriend. So when that happens, the disaster formula is out of balance. Uh, okay. You have to follow rules. There have to be rules to anarchy. Yeah. I'm tempting the disaster gods. <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad we got to do this show. I got to do nothing but just go on and on and on about my favorite movies. <laughs> well, I would just I would just like to uh, to end on a positive note and uh, say that it, it also gives me an opportunity to go back and revisit one of my favorite 70s uh, rock songs uh, by Molly Hatchett, a little song called Flirting with Disaster. Thanks again for listening to the Magnificently Huge podcast. Uh, we love putting these things together. We don't have a great big huge following yet, but frankly, every time I listen to these things, I think they just sound better and better. Just as a podcast listener, I'm really proud of what we're doing here. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you're listening to this right now, you must have, because this is at the end, so you listen to the whole thing. You can't say you didn't like it. That's like eating your entire meal and then complaining to the manager that it wasn't cooked right. So if you're listening to this now, please share it with some people you know. I mean, we're not making any money off of this. We're not running any ads. We just want to get the word out and get some discussion going and have some fun. So magnificentlyhuge.com is our site where someday we'll put something on it. There's really nothing there. We're at maghuge on Twitter magnificently huge podcast on facebook um and we're on spotify now where we're going to start sharing the music that we talk about when we talk about music on the show we have a pretty great playlist for our show from last week was it last week i think it was last week about uh bad movies with great soundtracks so you want to check that out at any rate I'm Eric, that was Brian and Chris, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Man.